but you tell them in that ad, we go on sale this day, this time. Then that drives them to a landing page that has the same messaging. Enter your info because we go on sale at this day, this time. We want you to get the information. They hit submit. The confirmation page says same thing. This day, this time, mark your calendars. You know what? Here's a widget. Add this to your calendar. Then yes. they add it to their calendar and that calendar will send a hard ping to their phone on that day and that time with the link to click and buy. We're sending them a series of emails that they're getting, just getting them excited about the event and why they don't want to miss out. And again, don't forget this day, this time we go on sale. Same with SMS, sending them text messages to remind them and get them excited and then showing them retargeting ads. Hey, we're glad you're on the list. Don't forget this day, this time. Feel free to share this post with friends if you want them to get on the list. How are entrepreneurs like us daring bravely to build a stage, ditch the sweatpants, and step up to the mic? How do we create our own transformative events so we can get our message out into the world in a bigger way that's not only profitable, but it's actually something we can be proud of? That's the question. And the answers are inside this podcast. My name is Sarah Pfeiffer. Welcome to Green Room Central. Today, I brought into Green Room Central Studios Ashley Stanford, a digital marketing strategist whose expertise is getting guests to show up for events. She's VP and co-founder at Ice Cream Social, a peer-to-peer gamified referral marketing widget for event registration sites. And she's EVP of client strategy for TicketSocket, a white-label ticket sales app. Ashley offers digital marketing support for diverse events like fun runs and festivals, circuses, air shows, zoos, and many more in the entertainment and coaching industries. Ashley, welcome to Green Room Central Studios. Say hello to Lynchpin Nation. Hello, Lynchpin Nation. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm thrilled to have you here too, because we're going to talk today about probably the most requested topic in the space of coaching yeah. events, and that is, how do I fill a room? <laughs> so tell us, what is your superpower as it relates to events? Hmm. What is my superpower? I'd have to say I'm a bit of an old school gamer girl at heart, and... Growing up, we had one video game, Mario Brothers. And my brother and I, I always play. wanted to play that game, but we didn't have oh it. Gosh, it's so good. So once you beat the game, you beat the game. So in order to keep things fun, my brother and I would find new ways to play the game, new challenges, you know, who could get the most coins, who could beat it in the least amount of time. And after doing this, uh, I've learned it's, it's really all about optimization. So my superpower when it comes to events, event marketing, I have to say is optimization. And in the context of, I love when people come to me and say, I love when they come to me before they go on sale and marketing, start marketing. But a lot of times people will come to me and say, hey, I'm on sale, it's not working, or it's working, but it could be better. I know something's off. Can you take a look? I love digging into what's going on, finding all the little tweaks and optimizations that we can make to your marketing plan and improve your overall return on any dollars you're putting out the door. So that's, yes, that's, oh, I love that. I love doing that. It is still like a video game to me. Okay, I love that you're relating it to a video game and that it, you're calling it fun because there's so many people in this space who don't think it's fun. In <laughs> fact, it's probably one of the biggest stressors yeah. and perhaps even one of the biggest um, things that holds them back from getting started or from doing it again is because they know that they, they filled it the last time, but it was hard. Yes. Or they don't know how they're going to fill it this time. Yes. And that is what you think is super fun. <laughs> yes. Putting on an event is no joke. It's a lot of work. And just the execution of the event, showing up at the event, all the details that go into putting on an event is a lot of work. 
So I get it to have to then think about a whole marketing plan and strategy and execution of that. Uh, it can feel pretty daunting. Let's let's um, work a little on that phrase you just said, which was marketing plan. Mm-hmm. I like to tell my students that market like filling an event is making a plan and working the plan consistently. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you think about creating a marketing plan for an event. And would you say what I said is, would you say that's true? <laughs> you got to work, make a plan and oh, work yeah. it consistently. Absolutely. Um, we're on a podcast, so trying to speak visually here without showing any graphics. But when I sit down and think about, okay, how are we going to market this event? I've got this funnel and it's kind of two sides. So on the beginning of the funnel, we're at a very awareness state. You know, what can we do to get the word out there as early as possible? It could be as simple as a press release. I like to think through all of the places online we could list the event, any kind of event directories, local bloggers, anything like that, because you want to start getting like that SEO value and juice going. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also uh, creating and a campaign that just gets people excited. So you could be running some ads that are asking people for their email and phone number, generating leads. You want to create a lot of hype around the event going on sale as if it's going to sell out on opening night. So people need to make sure they put their name on the list if they want a chance at securing tickets. So we create a Such really, a smart strategy. really big FOMO campaign at that awareness state before we ever go on sale. Okay. Um, so we really focus in on that. And then really the biggest focus and the biggest night of your sales should be the night you go on sale. Uh, so you want to really build up that list, build up that interest, get the buzz going because if you have a strong opening night, um, and there's a, a big campaign and a lot of different tactics you can do to have a really successful on sale night or day. I prefer to go on yeah. sale in the evening uh, when people are home and had dinner already. But if you okay. have a very strong on sale night, not only will that create a lot of momentum for sales for the rest of your sales cycle, Talk about breathing easy for the rest of the sales cycle leading up to the event because you are busy figuring out all the details for the event, finalizing presentations, whatever might be going on behind the scenes. The Mm -hmm. last thing you want to be stressing about is that, how am I going to get people there? So having a strong opening night is just a really great indicator of a successful event and with a lot of the clients that I work with, we have a special campaign that we will execute maybe four to six weeks leading up to us going on sale. And I know if that on sale night does not go well, we really don't have much of a shot. And you've got some numbers to back that up, right? You you kind of have a target percentage of... Yes sales like seats filled on that specific night and if you don't get there you know that there's something amiss perhaps with marketing copy or something else yeah it's going to be pretty different for every client that I work with and a lot of my clients they've done this event before in a lot of different cities oftentimes they're traveling to different cities so we'll also use this kind of big on sale night as an indicator to know, spend a little bit of money to dip our toes first. Is this going to be a good market? Because in some events, it really does make a difference. Sometimes that city is just not the right market. And to know on opening night and have those benchmarks predetermined and not go through the painful entire sales cycle and decide, you know what, this event's at a loss and we got to put it on and not sucks or, hey, we need to cancel this last minute, which is the worst thing that you want to do. So if we know on opening night, ooh, this was a flop, which doesn't Mm -hmm. happen that often, but it does happen. Um, At least we know opening night, we can refund those people. We're at a small loss. We can move on to the next city or- And that's helpful for- 
for people who are doing podcast tours or book tours, that's a really important strategy yes. to include. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, one of my benchmarks, again, it varies per the event, per revenue goals, the type of event, because a lot of times some people don't care. They just want butts and seats, even if the tickets are $1, because they know they make a lot of money at the events. Some events make sure. a majority of their money off the ticket sales. So there's a lot of factors at play. But one kind of general rule of thumb that I have is um, that list that we build up that during that lead generation phase that we know opted in said, yes, I want to come to this event. Mm -hmm. Let me know when it goes on sale. On opening night, we want to convert at least about 15% of the list that night. If 15% of the list doesn't buy time and time again, the entire sales cycle is, is a struggle. Um, if 15% of the list buys, then we know this is going to go pretty smoothly and this is going to be a pretty successful event. So in the digital product space, we call that a launch list. So we'll get that list together of people who have raised their hand that this is something they're interested in learning about. And that's the pool of people that we use for all of our reach outs about perhaps it's a webinar or a live training series and then make the ultimately make the offer to. And so you're saying you really love people to treat filling an event the exact same way. They're going to create uh, a launch list. It's not like their entire list. It's let's do a big campaign. Uh, Let's put a runway together before our event and generate a launch list for the event and then we can use that indicator uh, that you mentioned of about 15 percent of that launch list should convert on that first day of ticket sales and if it doesn't then that's a really strong signal to us that we need to go reevaluate our marketing for this event not even necessarily the marketing assuming that you executed the marketing as should a lot of times it could be um a market problem like Mm. there's not interest or it could be just an event problem itself like you got to rethink your messaging or your proposition um and this is for physical events for virtual type events the numbers are often much higher uh, in terms of getting a list to convert um, but for physical mm. events, yeah, we're talking about 15% on opening night and you know, things are going to go pretty smoothly for you. I love that benchmark. So back to the whole marketing plan concept, I'm hearing you say that there are multiple tracks that you're working at the same time. So not only are you doing ads, but you're doing other things too. Tell me about kind of all of the spokes to the wheel that you like to have in at play when you're putting together a comprehensive marketing plan for an event? Sure. So I would say at a tactical level, at the very least, I have some clients who are only going to do the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And if you're an event that's been put on before and you've seen success, mm-hmm. this usually works fine and you can get away with the bare minimum. If you're a newer event or, you know, new city, whatever the case may be, you're going to need to deploy um, a lot of different tactics in order to um, kind of build the traction you're looking for. Yeah. So I'd say at the bare minimum, you're going to be um, running social media ads, email marketing, and SMS. Those three together work really, really well. So at a bare minimum, you want those included in your plan. Now, obviously, to run email and SMS, you need a database of people. So um, if you don't have that already, again, that's where you do kind of that lead generation or that launch campaign to build that list so that you can activate the email and SMS marketing. Got it. So you're saying that in then the ad campaign, you're using that to get people to raise their hands and put themselves on the first to be notified list. Exactly. And that's when you're capturing their name and their or in their email and their 
cell phone number. Yes. Right. So at that kind of okay. awareness stage where you're generating interest in the event, yes, we're running Facebook, Instagram ads to a landing page to get emails and phone numbers. And then, you know, we'll have a whole sequence of emails and texts that they get leading up to opening night, as well as retargeting ads, just making sure they are um, very engaged and ready for opening night. Um, and then once you go on sale, then yes, you're still using those core three, email, SMS, uh, Facebook, Instagram ads. Um, we've been doing a lot of TikTok, TikTok, TikTok as well, uh, in terms of social advertising. Um, but are you seeing well, success there? Yes, still experimenting a lot, but definitely seeing enough to keep investing, not mm -hmm. enough success quite yet, at least in the events realm. I can see products work really great, but sometimes events can be a little trickier. Um, still seeing success to invest dollars, but not ready to jump ship of what we're right. doing with Meta. So <laughs> definitely worth testing out. Um, if you are a very large event and have the budget or you're, whether you're a smaller event and need to get scrappy and look at guerrilla marketing, um, there's a, a lot of other different tactics that you can involve. And that could be just a, a little ramble off a little list here to inspire you no matter where you fall in the gamut here. Um, do a lot of billboards radio, TV, those are obviously larger budgets. Um, one type of client that I learned so much from are circuses. They're so great at their scrappy in local marketing budget. They do a lot of flyers like in grocery stores, which you know probably isn't going to be applicable to a lot of people listening to put flyers in grocery stores. Right. In that mindset of like, who could I team up with on a fairly free basis to get my message out there. That could be local bloggers who are usually always looking for content. Um, oftentimes you could do, if it's a smaller local blogger, they have a captive audience. They might do um, a low cost paid content or kind of like a trade. Um, a lot of, yeah, outside of bloggers, just influence That's a great general. idea. Um, one of my favorites that um, Cir Circle A does is they uh, have these stencils. And so when they're in a city, they just spray paint. I wouldn't say it's spray paint. I think it's like chalky. It's friendly. It, it washes off with the rain. Mm -hmm. How toxic it is. I'm sure it's fine. Um, but they stencil uh, information on the sidewalks. So oh. more like guerrilla marketing like that um, is helpful. And again, just kind of googling and finding all of the places you could list your event online at no cost all of that is just like search engine optimization juice it can help people find you obviously mm. social media um checking out hashtags engaging with people you know having conversations there there's a lot of different things that you could do um but at that core really want that Facebook email SMS. Um, but sometimes that's not enough. So you do have to look at other methods of yeah. marketing to really help um, carry the sales, depending what kind of yeah. it is. And one thing we didn't talk about yet was referral marketing. And I bring that up because we, so uh, recently I was watching that Alex Hermosi event, the mm -hmm. virtual event to launch his book. And what was really interesting to me, and it's, it's what you're preaching today, was that he got leads for that event from so many different places. It wasn't just ads. It wasn't just yeah. affiliates. It wasn't just um, like organic. It was everything working together that you know, a little here, a little there, a little there equaled the half a million plus registrants. Yeah. And so you're... You're underlining that that's important and that's what your strategy is. But one of the big ones I want to talk about is referral marketing, where we're talking about one person telling another person. I know we can do affiliates at a wider, on a much grander scale, but on this one-to-one, -one, tell us about 
how you implement that in your campaigns? Sure. So big fan of referral marketing, peer-to-peer marketing, influencer mm-hmm. marketing, however you want to categorize it. Um, I have a company called Ice Cream Social, and it's essentially a widget that bolts on to any website or checkout flow, and it helps you turn your database of customers into an influencer for your brand. And okay. how that works is, uh, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen this on other websites before, is you make a purchase for something, uh, and this In my particular case, it's an event. Uh, You purchase tickets to an event, you get to the confirmation page, and then Ice Cream Social will deploy. And it'll have some sort of offer for you that will say something along the lines of, hey, this event would be a lot more fun if your friends went with you. Here's your special link. Invite your friends. If you get five friends to buy, we'll refund your ticket. And so what we're doing is, one, activating all of the customers to be a little influencer for you. Yes. And the, we're getting them to help be an influencer for you by gamifying it and giving them some sort of reward. Um, and so uh, depending, you know, kind of the different promotions, that's just an example of one. But let's say if you're asking someone to get five friends to buy, they're not going to invite exactly five friends unless they know they can get these five friends to buy. They're often inviting eight to 12 people. So no matter what, um, they're bringing people back to your site. And a lot of people are going to get one friend to buy, two friends to buy, maybe even three. It's pretty rare. Someone's going to reach their rewards. You're also not giving out all these refunds. However, if they do, it's definitely worth it for you because the cost to acquire that customer is much lower than a Facebook ad. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can really kind of leverage that, leverage your current database and get them to help you invite. And a lot of times they're often pretty willing, um, just because they're excited. Oh, I love that. I know that it's often said that you can fill upwards of 30% of your event seats with just the bring a friend campaign Mm -hmm. alone. And so you're kind of taking that and putting it on steroids. And I imagine that when someone works with you to deploy something like that on their thank you page, they would get to s- decide what that campaign, that offer looks like. If it's yeah, bring one and get this or bring five and get this or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yes, it's very custom. Okay. So it could be whatever you want the goal to be. One mm-hmm. friend, three friends, five friends, ten mm-hmm a ticket Mm -hmm. refund, a gift card, a free t-shirt, whatever. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I was just talking with a potential client last week about their upcoming event and how they were doing fantastic already with getting a couple thousand registered, but they just knew, like they had this gut feeling if they implemented something in this peer-to-peer space that it would take them so much higher. And we're looking for a solution on this. I'm going (laughs) to tell them about this. Yeah. So, okay. So we've talked about marketing campaigns, how they really are, they need to be comprehensive. Let's talk about when this conversation about a marketing plan for the event is taking place. How early do you like that conversation to happen before the tickets go on sale? And then on the, along those same lines, when do you like tickets to go on sale in advance of the event? Sure. Uh, absolutely want to have the conversation about building a marketing strategy as soon as possible with as much notice as possible. If it was a year in advance, that'd be great. Uh, But ideally, again, it's one of those things that depends on the kind of event, uh, Mm -hmm. the kind of, you know, notoriety behind the event, whatever may be happening. There's a lot of different um, use cases on timing in terms of what type of event. Ideally for me and the type of events I work with, uh, I'd like to know four or five months before we go on sale for sure, Mm -hmm. or before the event. Um, And typically we'll spend 
you know, three to four weeks, creating that awareness, generating leads. Um, that timing works pretty well. If I stretch it longer than that, we can lose some people. So three to four weeks works pretty good. And then a lot of times for most of the events that I work on, if we have a three month period to market um, before the event happens, that's ideal. Um, four months is great. You get a little out there, it can be a little tricky because yeah. people just aren't planning as far in advance anymore. Um, there's just so much competition in terms of people's time and attention and plans yes. and what they're going to do. So I am finding that if you're marketing something, you know, six months out, it can get a little more difficult. And so I, if we, in some cases, I do have clients that do that, that will market a year in advance, but I'd prefer to save a bulk of the marketing budget for those last three, four months before the event. Yeah. So I'm hearing about at least nine months out, we should have a conversation and get the ball rolling on building the strategy. And then I'm hearing four months out from the event, start that awareness runway, gathering names and emails and SMS for people who are raising their hand that they're interested. And then three months out going on sale. Is yeah. that about right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I love that. Now, what have you been seeing recently work really well that you're kind of excited about? Yeah. Let's see. I would say one thing that's been working pretty well with a lot of my clients is something we call whitelisting. Okay. And whitelisting, I don't know if anyone's familiar with it, but essentially it's if you're working with any kind of influencer, uh, if you have someone attending your event that has a little bit of an audience, if they're speaking at your event, some of the events I do, they have like musical artists and acts, mm -hmm. or maybe you just have an influencer who's attending your event or willing to promote it for you. Okay. Um, what a lot of these social tools now allow is something called whitelisting access or um, Facebook has changed the name. They'll call it like a, a paid partnership. And uh, if you create content within this paid partnership, it allows you to essentially push a button and allow the other person to put paid dollars behind that one post. So it kind of gives you access to that influencer's post to just put paid dollars behind it. So it's still coming from that influencer rather than you or your event, um, but you don't get access to put money behind everything or see their whole ad account or anything like that. And so uh, we'll see with a lot of events that the whitelisting ads have a pretty high return on ad spend. I love that. Yeah, it's definitely something I recommend that you either ask for access to their ads mm -hmm. account for guest speakers that you're uh, that are, you're having at your event, and if, you know, if they say yes, great. But yeah. it sounds like this new way, this whitelist listing way, is probably has an even greater chance of a yes. Yeah, and isn't that fabulous? Because now you get access to running ads to all of their followers. Yeah, to their followers and a broader audience. And it just gives you kind of another profile to advertise under and see, you know, which one works better for you. And honestly, that stage, if that's something you're considering, um, asking for white label or whitelisting access or anything like that often happens in the contract stage. So okay. we're, if we're working with um, someone who might be in an event, whether it's a musical artist, a celebrity, a speaker, we're negotiating yes. that access at the contract level before they've even committed. And Love for that. some people that is a deal breaker. Um, so, okay. It's a deal breaker that they won't have them speak at their event unless they yes. say yes. To right, the... right. Okay. Yeah. That's cutthroat. It is. <laughs> so it's kind of like, a, col a collab post exactly. on steroids. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, most people are always definitely very willing to do that. It's 
only benefits them as well because they're getting paid dollars behind their account that isn't them which just brings more profile views followers engagement to your account so it's usually a pretty great scenario yeah well, it sounds like it is yeah oh i love that tip any others Ooh, i don't i would say as i've been trying to hit home making as much FOMO and buzz around going on sale as possible. A lot of times when putting on an event, you want to hype up the event itself, which yes, yes, you want to do. But before you even do that, you really need to hype up the fact that you're going on sale. So this is probably a helpful distinction for the people who they want to reach a cold audience for their event. Mm -hmm. And it is a bit of a jump to go to an event, especially an in-person event. Virtual is much easier mm-hmm. if you're you're cold and you've never met, I'm doing air quotes, met them before. Yeah. And so this runway period where they're just simply raising their hand, you're then kind of turning them from cold to warm and dramatically increasing the yes. chances of them saying yes to showing up live for you. Yes. And honestly, getting them to buy on opening night, because again, it creates that momentum. They'll tell their friends, mm-hmm. breathe a little easy. Depending yes. on the type of event, you can cover a lot of your hard costs on that opening night, and then you're not stressing. So there's a lot of benefits to having a successful on-sale night. Mm-hmm. Um what I see a lot of events do is they just go on sale and they turn on their ads and then they ask people to buy. Yes. And the That's return, what I see too. Yeah. It's just the return isn't going to be as high. Like you said, it's talking to a cold audience and it's mm-hmm. going to take a lot more dollars to warm them up uh, and get them to purchase because the cost per acquisition to get someone to make a purchase is so much higher than getting right. someone to fill out a form with their name and email address. Yes. It might so cost tell you me... pennies to get a lead, but it could cost you 30, 50, 100, 200 bucks to acquire a customer. So it's always better to have that runway period of acquiring leads at such a low cost where then you can warm them up and nurture them through email and SMS. So tell me what are the must do strategies during that runway period? This whole idea for this campaign came about when talking to one of my clients and we're talking about a movie. It's called Focus. It's with uh, Will Smith, Margot Robbie, and I won't delve too much into it if you want to watch it, but there's a bet that Will Smith makes in the movie and it's a pretty outlandish bet and you just think there's no way he has a shot at winning this bet that he made with another person, like a casual bet with another person. And um, he ends up winning this bet. Sorry, spoiler alert. It's not a spoiler alert for the whole movie, just this scene. But he ends up winning this bet. And he won it because he spent the weeks prior making this bet before this bet conversation came about, essentially subliminally marketing to this guy So he knew what this guy would pick. Um, He made sure, like he planted the idea subtly in his head with different things, images, music, things playing around him. Um, You just have to watch it too. Now I have to watch it. Um, And so we kind of reasoned like, how could we do that with people to have a really great on sale night? And so, yes. We'll run ads saying, hey, we go on sale on this day, this time. You don't want to mess out. You'll get the best price. You'll get a ticket, whatever kind of FOMO messaging you're Mm -hmm. working with. But you tell them in that ad, we go on sale this day, this time. Then that drives them to a landing page that has the same messaging. Enter your info because we go on sale this day, this time. We want you to get the information. They hit submit. The confirmation page says same thing, this day, this time, mark your calendars. You know what? Here's a widget, add this to your calendar. 
Yes. And they add it to their calendar and that calendar will send a hard ping to their phone on that day and that time with the link to click and buy. And then um, we're sending them a series of emails that they're getting, just getting them excited about the event and why they don't want to miss out. And again, don't forget this day, this time we go on sale. Same with SMS, sending them text messages to remind them and get them excited and then showing them retargeting ads. Hey, we're glad you're on the list. Don't forget this day, this time. Feel free to share this post with friends if you want them to get on the list. Uh, so it's really just every avenue that we can hit them with this messaging, we do it for three to four weeks. Um, obviously, some people might come in for a week, so they only get it for a week. But either way, um, they're still a fresh lead and like excited, and sometimes that can yes. work in their favor too, so that's not an issue. Um, but it's really... What are all the things you could do to tell this person over and over again? You go on sale this day and this time. Because that just puts them in this mode of like, shoot, this is important and I cannot miss this. Or I'm either going to get no tickets at all or I'm going to get a really bad deal and I want to get the best deal. Yeah, I I love um, following Jesse Itzler and the 29029 event and they were doing that. They're doing that right now. Is yeah. I think. See, I'm 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 a product of their marketing. I think it's like November or November second that their tickets go on sale. Yeah. And I'm I'm anxiously awaiting, even though this is not my year. Yeah. But I'm still like on pins and needles, going, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen on the day that they go on sale? Yeah. Because they're doing such a good job of telling me in all these places that that's yeah. the day they go on sale. Yeah. And it's working. Yeah. <laughs> what what kind of ads do you see perform the best? I I'm a sucker for a good sizzle reel of a prior event being used to promote the current event, but what do you see working? Gosh, this is probably number one question all my clients ask, and I am going to tell you it has been different every single time. Oh my so gosh. At the very least, I want a video and I want static images and we just A-B test all day long, every few yes. days. Okay, this is a winner. What's next? And we continue to reinvent that um, after kind of seeing the data roll in. But initially, I always want to start with, yes, some sort of sizzle reel mm -hmm. video about what the event is. Nothing too long. 30 seconds, 15 seconds max. Yes. Um, and then your best static images that sh capture what the event could be. So good. And so I'm, it is really ahead. weird. Sometimes video wins, sometimes static wins. It's always so different. <laughs> so I can't, I can't say yes, video is a clear winner um, because that's just not the case anymore. And that's been kind of new the past four years back in the day when video was still a little more favored. Um, it worked out pretty well. Well, I love that you have eyes on so many test cases so that you can definitively tell mm -hmm. people, no, actually I need all the things. We're going to, we're going to test it all in your event. <laughs> Shifting gears a little bit. So when people are actually buying the tickets, a lot of people who listen to the show are using Kajabi a because it's my favorite thing in the world yeah. but it's just great for course creators because yeah. you host all of your stuff and super simple do-it-yourself checkout pages do you recommend that as the avenue for selling tickets for your event or do you recommend something else and if so why Sure. So I have worked with content creators in the past and I agree. Love Kajabi. Uh, think it's great. We've used it to sell products before. I haven't used it to sell tickets, so I can't speak to that. They could very well um, have a great functionality for that. Yeah. Um, it kind of depends on your needs and you got to assess that. Like how many people are coming to your event and um, what is like your check-in process look like? Like, do you have barcodes that need to be scanned? Like what is the event management aspect of it? Mm. Um, and so I would say if you're using Kajabi, 
have that filter, evaluate Kajabi. If it works great for you, definitely use it because you want to be able to stay on one tool. But if yes. your needs are a little more complex mm -hmm. um, in terms of what you're looking for in event management, um, I suggest TicketSocket, white label ticketing software. And the reason I would suggest that over something maybe like an Eventbrite is that that white labeled aspect allows you to continue to grow your brand. No mm. one knows that you're using it. Um, even the credit card processing is going to have, you know, your name or your business on it. All of the branding, the entire flow, it just looks seamless as if people never leave that experience of your website. And that honestly is really great for checkout conversions. If people have to jump to a new website or a new flow with mm -hmm. new branding, it can get confusing and it yes. really gets confusing later down the road. If you're selling tickets far in advance and people can't find their ticket email because they can't remember what the name of the system was that mm. you use. Um, so we run into that a lot. Um, but really, uh, you just want to find a tool that allows you to keep your own branding, um, allows you to have control of your money. So some of, I won't name any brands, but some of the other ticketing companies out there, uh, when you sell a ticket, they'll actually hold on to your money. So you could have a really great opening night and really thankful because that's going to help you pay a lot of the bills to put on the event. But if that ticketing company holds your funds, uh, a lot of times they'll hold your funds until a certain amount of time, especially if you're a new event, they'll hold your funds a lot of times until the event ends to oh, assure wow. that there's not going to be chargebacks. So that can be really crucial for cash flow. So that is, I would say, if you're newer to putting on events, really think that through. Cash flow is going to be really important for That's you. That's huge. And um, with TicketSocket, it's your own merchant processor. So as soon as someone buys a ticket, that goes directly into your bank account. You don't have to worry about somebody holding on to it and paying you out later when they've determined that your event is real, it's happening, you're not yeah. getting a lot of chargebacks, that sort of thing. Um, so just having you know, that full control of your brand money and data is important. Uh, so important because it's a lot of people use ticket sales as a way to drive the revenue to put down deposits with mm -hmm. a hotel, for example. Yeah. Or pay guest speakers and to secure them and to have the surprise of your funds yeah. being held until after the event would be devastating. Yes, it, it is. Um, it's unfortunate. So definitely keep that in mind when you're when you're looking around. That is a pro tip for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. you said ticket socket, right? Yes. I love it. And I love that you said it was white label because I agree with you. It's a huge bone of contention for me when people don't, when businesses don't pay attention to ensuring that all of the pieces look and feel the same, have the same messaging and the same branding. I think that like that string of continuity is what creates that FOMO. Yeah. Would you agree? I agree for sure. And it just makes you look more put together. It builds trust and trust is an important part of getting that final transaction. Yeah, it's professional. It looks legit. This is a yeah. big deal, making a commitment to go hang out with somebody live, whether it's in person yeah. or virtual. It's a big commitment. Yeah. And, and it's I think, to think to get that white labeled yes. access, it's not a big thing. It's not a big custom development. Like it's a pretty seamless thing. So it's worth worth looking into. Yeah, and probably more applicable for those who are in the hundreds to thousands because that's when volume, I mean, if you're doing a 12 person retreat, I don't believe that you need it. But yeah. if you're doing a conference with hundreds or thousands and guest management is a thing for you and badging and all that stuff, then yes. it becomes really helpful to, to use a more advanced pro team solution like TicketSocket that you recommended. Definitely. Okay. Before we wrap up, 
I want to first find out if there's anything that you want to share that we haven't yet talked about. Oh man. I think, I think I've laid it on pretty thick. Gotta do that lead generation, <laughs> yes. big strong opening night. That yes. will help relieve a lot of your stress for sure. It's a pro tip. The the next thing that I would want to ask you, I'd love to ask everybody, is what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? I'm going to tell you my favorite book. I read it quite often. Uh, I would say every couple of years. So I'm kind of in that cycle right now. Yes. Uh, so it's not a new book that I've, I've read it before. It's called The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. I think I'm ah. saying her name correctly. Yes, I've heard her. I've heard of okay. her. So let me tell you about this book. Uh, so essentially it's a workbook kind of. Okay. Uh, it is. And it takes you through this process, asks you all kinds of questions, really gets your mind thinking. And you go through this whole process. Just got to trust the process. Just do it. You get to the end and you've come up with these what she calls core desired feelings of how you want your life to go, how you want to feel day to day. So I like to do this book every two or three years. And I first did it many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And once you come up with these core desired feelings of how you want to feel, it really helps you navigate and make decisions in your life mm. so much more seamless. And uh, I think this would still be relevant if we're not talking about events here, but just anyone listening mm -hmm. and navigating your career. Cause I, I'm the people listening are probably fairly entrepreneurial yes, and, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of opportunity and sometimes we're chasing certain things or maybe opportunities come in and we want to say yes, because the financials there, but it may not ladder up to your end goal. And one of the words that have come up for me over my period of doing this is the word freedom. And now I've noticed now that I've done this many times that that word freedom has different meanings for me oh. um, over the years. So like when I first started, like I wanted that financial freedom, like I was chasing the money, trying to build my business and brand and you know, what could I do to achieve that financial freedom? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, have a couple kids and things change. And uh, I found I was looking for that time freedom. Time was very important to me and needing to figure out my career that, you know, it wasn't just about uh, the finances. It's also time. And then kind of progressing now where, you know, I've reached certain goals and you know have figured out how to structure my business in a way that supports me from a time aspect um, i've now found that this word freedom for me is really all about opportunity and having the space the time the um just the the, the foundation in place to have the freedom to take on whatever opportunities that i feel are calling me right mm. now um and so it, the book has just been really helpful for me in kind of guiding my life and my day-to-day -day and structuring what my day looks like. Um, I'm sure many of us are working from home. And so yes. kind of figuring that out and navigating all the other things in life and remembering that there is more out there than just our work and um, balancing all of that. Um, I love that book. So I strongly recommend it. Well, I've added it to my list. Right. of things I have to read. I was kind of paying attention to her earlier on in my entrepreneurial journey. And then I kind of stopped for whatever reason. And I feel like this is the nudge that I need to go check yes. back in and read this one. Yes, check it out. I think you could probably order it on Amazon. Uh, I know you can order it on her website. I'm an I, audible uh, obsessed person. Right. You, okay, I get that, me too, but you need the physical book. Oh, okay, because I have to workshop it. 
You got to workshop okay, it. Okay. Uh, but I gift this book all the time. And I get so many people that come back to me years later, like that book changed my life. Oh, Thank you for giving that's that. That's so sweet. Me. So definitely check it out. What a thoughtful gift to give people. Okay. I'll link that up in the show notes. It'll also force me to go find it on Amazon, yeah. <laughs> put it in the cart. This has been so fun to chat today, Ashley. I really enjoyed it. What have you got going on right now that we should know about and where can Lynchpin Nation find you? Sure. So you can find me at icecreamsocial.io. Very excited. We recently received an investment from NBC Comcast. So working on some cool projects with them that you can keep an eye out on. Um, you could also find my website, ashleykline.com uh, to learn more. Wonderful. Well, I'll link those up in the show notes too. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Green Room Central podcast. If you loved this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and post it to Instagram and be sure to tag at Sarah Faithler and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear or who you'd like to hear from in the future. That'll help me know what to create for you. Also, if it's on your heart to host your first or next event this year and you need a jumpstart, let's connect for a strategy session. Just go to greenroomcentral.com. In a two-hour intensive private session, I can help you pivot, scale, or start your event vision from scratch. Together, we will build an actionable plan so that you feel confident and clear on your next steps. Go to greenroomcentral.com right now to sign up. I appreciate your commitment to leveling up and learning the mindset and strategy of live events. Keep going. Keep learning. If you want more, head over to greenroomcentral.com for show notes and all the links from today's episode.